I'm very excited about this series for a lot of different reasons. And, uh, you know, really, we've been around, it's hard to believe, but we've been here at Lakeside for 10 years now. That's hard to believe. And I don't remember a time, in fact, I'm certain of it, that we've not really devoted uh, attention to this whole idea of how to neighbor, and which is amazing when I reflect back on that, because really, Jesus had quite a lot to say about it. In fact, you're going to see during this series today, next Sunday, and then the Sunday after that for four consecutive weeks, you're going to see what Jesus had to say about being a neighbor. You're going to see other portions of the Bible that speak to this whole idea of being a neighbor. I'm very, very excited about it. You know, digging into the Bible, straight out of the Bible, these thoughts, these truths. And even though, you know, the realization is it was written so incredibly long ago, it's still incredibly relevant to our lives right now. So what I want to do this morning, and again for the next three Sundays, and I'm just telling you, friend, what we're going to be talking about these next three weeks, you just don't want to miss, unless you absolutely know you're going to be out of town, be here, you're going to want to be a part of this. Again, you're going to be pleasantly surprised as to how this is dressed. And I've just seen things and learned things, uh, and I've been reading the Bible since I was 15 years of age. I've been given talks out of the Bible for uh, many, many years, and I've just never seen some of the things that we're going to be looking at over these few weeks. Now, having said that, while we're talking about how to neighbor, uh, the question that I would have to ask you is, what do you think about when you hear the word neighbor? I mean, what jumps into your mind when you hear the word neighbor? Now, for me, it's easy. And uh, when I first started thinking about this, knowing that I was going to be giving a talk this morning around this idea, I I started thinking about my neighbors. And for me, my brain immediately jumped to the neighborhood that I remember most uh, from my childhood. You see, when I was five years of age, now, I was born in the city limits of Atlanta, and uh, we lived there until I was about five, but the, like, major metropolitan areas started getting so much traffic and so much congestion, and my parents already worked out in the suburbs, and so it seemed like a logical move for us to move out to the suburbs, and we did that. And I can remember the house. It seemed like a big house at the time, but going back later as an adult and looking at it, it was quite a small house. And my parents bought a house in Mary Court, on Mary Court, in a cul-de-sac. And these are the first neighbors that I remember. And I started thinking about who were some of my neighbors, and I thought about the neighbors right behind us. And that was um, Webster, and Webster had two sisters, and, and uh, his sister's name were Renee, and then there was Jane. And on side note, this is when I was five or six years of age, I was madly in love with Jane. I thought she was the m- most beautiful girl in all of the first grade, especially our neighborhood. And so there was those guys living behind us. To my left was Tony Wingate, my buddy. Uh, to the left of him uh, was Gloria Staples, and that was more my sister's friend, but I knew Gloria. Right next to Gloria, directly across the cul-de-sac from us, I can't remember his last name because we always called him Georgie Porgy. His name was George, and Georgie Porgy lived right across the street, and then behind him was my best friend, and that was Marty, and I still have talked to Marty uh, many times as an adult, and his sister read it, and so I remember all of these people, and what, what was cool about that is that looking back, you know, not only were we all friends, but our parents were friends. You see, back in that time, when I was about five or six years of age, houses, it's remarkable when you think about it, houses were built with these things called front porches. Have you heard of them? And so people would actually get out and, you know, outside of their house and be in the neighborhood and on their front porches and people would talk. And so I remember this very, very well. Now, follow this out years later, and I've lived in the same house for 15 years, and I'm terribly embarrassed in a way that I can't even describe to admit to you that in this house where I've lived 15 years now, 
I can only name four of my neighbors. That's all. And I'm embarrassed by that. I don't like that. And uh, I hope that you're doing much better than I'm doing in that regard. Here's what I believe, that all of us are going to be much more improved in this area of real life. And I'm going to challenge you uh, today because I feel great conviction in my own life when I think about that's all I know. I've been there that long. And, you know, I recognize my neighbors. You know, if I had to pick them out of a lineup, I'd know who they are, but I don't know that many names. But what I want us to do uh, this morning is I want to go ahead and dive into our passage And I want us to talk about this just a little bit. And uh, we're going to really inspect this passage thoroughly in the first half of it and then uh, look at some very sensible steps that we should take in reaction to what Jesus actually says. This is Matthew chapter 22. And the guys are going to put this up on the screen for you, beginning at verse 34. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees. Now, who were the Sadducees? They weren't. They were an American League baseball team. Not not really. They were a group of religious leaders. And hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? We need to talk about that, and we are. And Jesus replies to him. He says, you want to know what the greatest commandment is? I'll give it to you. Here it is. Love the Lord your God. Read the rest of this with me, everybody. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Read the next part. This is the first and greatest commandment. So again, they're trying to trap Jesus, trying to test him. What's the greatest commandment? Here it is. Love the Lord your God. This is the first and greatest commandment. Now look at the next portion, verse 39. And the second is like it. Read this portion with me now. Love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 40, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. We need to talk about this. It's so important. And you probably have done like I've done. I've read this many, many times before. And I've just read through it. And I've not thought about it deeply or profoundly. And there's a part of the background of this story that probably for the majority of you, You've just maybe don't know the background. What are some of the things happening around this? And I think it helps us to better understand this passage once we understand the, back, the background, the context to it. Now, verse 34 is where we started, and it tells us right up front that when Jesus had quieted the Sadducees, that immediately thereafter, the Pharisees step up to the plate, and the next verse tells us why. They wanted to test Jesus. They wanted to test him with a question. In, in fact... Uh, most Bible scholars believe that their thoughts behind this was such that, that what they really hoped to do was not just, you know, test him, but they hoped to catch him saying something that would be so outrageous and so unorth- unorthodox that what they would actually do is that they would actually, as a result of that, somehow be able to find Jesus liable of making a blasphemous statement. They want to trip him up theologically. Now, you also need to keep in mind, this is part of the background, that any time you see the expression in this place, in this passage, where it says the law, it is much broader than just what we would think of the law is out of the Old Testament. The, the law would be broader than that in that it would be all of the Old Testament. Now, also, this would be helpful. And I know that I'm giving you a lot of background and I'm giving you a lot of information, but it's going to help you to understand the totality of the passage. What you also need to understand, and this comes into play, and I'll come back to this, but in that day, it was very common that these rabbis would get together. Again, Jesus is not the only rabbi. Jesus is one of many rabbis 
we know that he's the greatest of them all. And remember what this expert in the law says. He doesn't call him by name. He says teacher or, or rabbi. And what was commonplace in that day is that rabbis would gather together and they would have these debates. And the debate would center around these kind of things. Which of the commandments were the lighter commandments and which of the commandments, by comparison, were the more weighty commandments? And they would have those kind of discussions. Rabbi would come, rabbis would come together and discuss this kind of thing. Now, this expert of the law would be well acquainted with these kind of discussions that would happen among rabbis. So he walks up to Jesus, again, wanting to test him. He addresses him, teacher or rabbi, all right, what is the greatest commandment? Now, Jesus was aware that these discussions had happened. This guy's aware. But what is the greatest commandment, Jesus, of all the commandments? What is the, what is the greatest one in all of the law? Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law in all of the Old Testament? And Jesus actually answers by repeating the Shama. The Shama. Now, if, if I were like you and I was in a church service and somebody just, you know, all of a sudden interjects a word like that, the Shaman, I didn't understand what that meant. Then the next logical question that I would have, well, what is the Shama? How do I understand unless you explain it to me? And I want to take just a moment to do that. Now, what is the Shama would be what most of us would be thinking about this point. And what you need to understand about the Shama, it was the most sacred text in all of Israel. It comes out of the Old Testament book, the most sacred portion of Scripture in, in their estimation, which is Deuteronomy. And the Shama was the first prayer that any child in Israel would ever memorize. It would be so important. This was, this was Shama. This was very, very important. And the smallest of children, in, in, in fact, the amount of Scripture, and again, it's the Old Testament because the New Testament was not yet available to them. But it was an amazing amount of scripture that even the smallest of kids would remember. And among everything that they would remember in their lifetime, the very first thing that any Israelite child would memorize would be the Shama. And thereafter, after they had memorized it, then what they would do from that point forward is they would repeat it. They would pronounce it twice a day. Every day they would do this. Now, where does it come? Again, this most sacred text uh, for them. And this is out of Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is the shaman. This is what Jesus was interjecting here. Look at it. Verses 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, why did that really matter so? What, what God was saying is your, your religion is a monotheistic religion. It is not a pantheon of religions. I am not calling my people, uh, God is saying, into a covenant relationship where you're going to serve multiple gods, and I, the one true God, Yahweh or Jehovah, I'm going to be one God among all your, all your other gods. And you see this repeated again and again, uh, again in the Old Testament, that all these other gods, when you think about Baal and you read about the Ashtoreth and all of the other pagan gods, uh, God God would say they are false gods. I'm the one true God. And again, when a child would memorize the Shama, they would remember this. Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Just one. You worship one God. And then this is what Jesus repeated from the Shama. Love the Lord your God. Read it all with me now. Everybody help me. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And that's what Jesus said. This is Shama. And everyone who thoughtfully repeated the Shama clearly realized that this was a call, that this was a call to love God without reservation, to love God with every faculty of your being. And the smallest ones and the oldest ones, and Shama would repeat it twice every day. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, all your mind. But what is amazing here is that Jesus does not stop right here. 
He says, this is the first and greatest commandment. Now we're back in Matthew. This is the first and greatest commandment. Remember what this expert in the law is asking? Among all the law, among all the Old Testament, which is the greatest commandment? And Jesus points him to Shama. But what happens next is downright outrageous. It's off the chain. He says then, and the second is like it. The second is like it. What do you mean the second is like it? There is no second. What do you mean the second is like it? There is no second commandment in Shama. And we miss because we just read this text out of Matthew 22 and we read it and maybe we don't understand the background of it and we don't understand how staggering that it would be for Jesus' hearers to hear him pronounce Shama and then say, but the second commandment, because they're thinking, who in the world, listen, this is what really matters, who in the world has the authority to amend Shama? Who can do that? Who can add to it? And Jesus is saying, well, you know what? I can't. I can add to it, and that's what I'm doing to this day. And, and from that day forward, verse 39, and the second he said is like it, and then he gives us a second. He said, now this is going to be a second part of this all-important sacred text. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength, and the second is like it. And then Jesus tells him what the second is, and the second is this, and you love your neighbor as yourself. You love your neighbor as yourself. Well, later, and you'll see this next week in, the, in that talk, and you don't want to miss that. Well, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Our neighbor is this real flesh and blood, imperfect person that life brings us in contact with. And the reality is, it's not always easy to love everybody. You know that. It's not always easy to love people. But it is the real flesh and blood imperfect person that life brings us in contact with. R.V.G. Tasker, he's a New Testament scholar, and he has written this. Look at it on the screen. He said, a man cannot love God in any real sense without also loving his neighbor made in God's image like himself. And so it's one thing, you know, what a tragedy it would be. If we would be here today and we had a wonderful time of worship and if we were, to, and we were to love God, maybe we lifted our hands or clapped our hands or we sang out and we just worship God and we were expressing our love to God the way the Shama would say that we should with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, every faculty of our being was brought into loving God. But if we said, well, you know what? I don't really love my neighbor, my neighbor the way that I should love my neighbor then that is incongruent. That doesn't line up. Jesus said the first is this, but the second is like it. And he really ups the importance of loving our neighbor. You see, to love someone is to actually give to someone what that person needs. Now, when Jesus made this statement, we need to understand it. Again, I told you I wanted to give you a lot of background because next time you read this passage, you're going to have the background to it and you're going to understand it more fundamentally. So what Jesus is saying when he gives this second, you know, this amendment to Shama, he says, I want you to love your neighbor as yourself. And when Jesus said it, he did not intend that we would think about it, that we would sit around and think about, well, you know what? What Jesus said, I probably ought to really give some thought to that. Maybe I should love my neighbor. Maybe I should. All right, and we think about it. No, Jesus didn't want us to just think about it. He didn't want us to just talk about it. He didn't want us to just have mental assent or agreement with him on it. He wanted us to actually follow what he taught. Now, we need to do a timeout right here because I, I know that this comes into play. How many of you know, well, let me say it this way. How many of you know that there are some people 
that are not as easy to love as other people are. How many, how many of you, let me, uh, okay, how many, how many of you know that? That's, that would be a true statement. And, and uh, I cleaned that up because, you know, how I really wanted to say it was, how many of you know some people are just downright difficult to love? How many of you know that? Just very difficult to love. Now, does that mean that, okay, well, you know, God says, love him with all of our heart, mind, soul. Jesus pointed to this. This is, this is Shama. But now, you know, we're off the hook because we don't have to love, you know, the difficult people in our life. I want you to take a look at Michael Wilkins. He is another New Testament scholar, and this is what he says. It's on the screen. Love is an unconditional commitment to an imperfect person. So if you wait around for people who are perfect or people who are always going to be like maximize lovable, you're never going to love anybody. And this is really, really big deal to God. And again, when Jesus said it, when Jesus said it, they're like, whoa, are you kidding? Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? You can amend. You can add an addendum to Shama. Who has the authority to do that? And Jesus said, I do. Love God. But you've got to love people. And you can't really say that you love my Father in heaven if you really don't love people. Now, we're not going to do what I'm about to do in every week of this series. We're going to go to, in fact, next week, we're going to look at another place where Jesus gives a story about a neighbor. And he's got, you know, this whole idea of who is my neighbor. Then the week after that, two weeks from today, and again, you do not want to miss any of these weeks. We're going to go back into the Old Testament. We're going to see a story that is a fascinating story that brings this fully into play. And then we're going to go back into the New Testament, the final week of this series, three weeks from today, and look at some things that are going to be so compelling and so challenging to us. But what I want to do today is I want to focus on how we can love our, like our neighborhood neighbors. And again, we're not going to do this every week, but how can we talk about loving our neighbors if we don't even talk about loving like our neighborhood neighbors, like the people that are all around us. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to give you three thoughts around this idea, and you can write them down. They're so simple, so easy. You can probably remember them, and they're very, very practical. But I think most of us, at least I can speak for me, I need a lot of help in these areas because I'm not really doing that well. We can start by, here's the first thing, how do you love your neighbor? You can start by discovering the names of our neighbors. Now, I painfully conceded to you that the names that I remember as a child, five years old, are, are more important than the four names that I know, having lived in the same house as long as I have. Only four people that I know of my neighbors. And so it only would make sense that if we're going to love people, it doesn't it make sense that it would help to know their names. If we're going to love them, that's a good starting point at their names. So here's what I want to do right now. I want to hit pause. Now, in my mind, when I go back to Mary Court, our little house in the cul-de-sac, I can remember, all right, we lived on the right side, you know, this way when you pulled in, you know, the left side when you pulled in. But right behind us, that was where, uh, that was where Renee and Webster and, and Jane lived. And then, you know, to my left, and then and I went around there and down the road. Now, here's what I want you to do. I'm going to do something that is not easy for me to do. I'm going to go completely silent for a few moments. Because I want you to think about, I want you to think about where are you living right now? In the neighborhood that you live in. In the condominium units that you live in. In the apartment complex that you live in. And I know on any given Sunday, there's some people, some wise guys among us who will say, well, this doesn't apply to me. I live in the middle of 25 acres and I don't have neighbors. All right? Name your cows. <laughs> Name your horses. You know, what? You know don't, don't think I'm off the hook and I don't, I don't have to participate in this. Here's what I want you to do. I'm going to be really quiet and I want you to take a few minutes. And it's going to be painfully silent. 
But while I do, think about where you live. And then by name, not by recognition, by name, start naming the people that live near and around you. All right? Do you have enough time? S- uh, some of you, maybe you're like me, you think, hey, hey, it didn't take me nearly that time, Jeff. You know, I had it, have it covered. Hey, but this is interesting to me. How many of you, when you started thinking about, by name, the people around you, how many of you could name 12 or more people? Let me just see your hand. Just lift it up. It's all right. You're not being braggadocious. You're just admitting something. That is a fact. You know 12 or more people around you. That is great. That is wonderful. How many of you, how many of you know somewhere between eight, eight, to 12 people, you know, 7 to 12 people around you, just just lift up your hands, you know, quite a few people. How many of you, and again, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm being so transparent with you, I just have this utter conviction going on. How many of you fall into my category that you really don't know that many by name? You just, you know, maybe, maybe a couple, maybe two, maybe three, maybe four people. Now, on average in churches, listen now, on average in churches, only about 10% of people can actually do this. And what I mean by do this is name a lot of people. Like those of you that ask 12 or more people, uh, we, we have an above average crowd. Now I knew that anyhow, but above average crowd because generally if you were to ask that same question in a church anywhere, there'd only be uh, about 10%, about 1 in 10 that could really start naming off names of people, you know, behind them, beside them, across the street, down the road, only about 10%. And this tends to become really convicting to most of us when our attention is directed to it. Now, but then I, I stop and I back off from that and I think, why is that? Because it's really not that difficult to get to know the names of our neighbors, but we don't do this. I mean, if I really, really wanted to get to know the names of my neighbors, I would do this. I would, I would find this out. And again, because this is like front and center uh, with me, I'm like, I am so challenged and so convicted, and my conviction has led me to challenge, and I'm going to do something about it and what I'm trying to encourage you to do, and that is to, let's get to know them. We can do this. And I see my neighbors. I, it's not like I don't see them. I see them all the time. I see them walking around the neighborhood. I see them working in their yards. I see them going out and checking the mailbox. I see them collecting their, their uh, trash bin from the road after, you know, trash day and bringing them. I see them around the neighborhood. And how many of you know this? As we see our neighbors, we all have choices. We all have choices. Here's a choice. We can ignore that we see them. Now, I know, I know you would never do that, but some people I hear can sometimes actually see people but pretend that they don't see them because if I don't see you, then I don't have to talk to you. So if I ignore you, I don't even have to say anything. Now, I know you would never do anything like that, but, but people do that. So here's one reaction. We could just see them and pretend we don't see them and ignore them. Or here's what we could do. We can do what most of us do, a lot of us, I should say, do, and that is let's pretend that we're a really good neighbor. And you know how we do that? We see our neighbor and we do, hey, I'm your neighbor. I'm a good neighbor. I, I, I really love you the way Jesus teaches, hey, how you doing? 
you know, I'm, I'm a good neighbor and I'm ultra friendly because I could be ignoring you right now and pretending I don't see you, but I see you and I want to say hey to you. So, hey, and, and we do a lot of that. Or we can become very intentional and we can initiate. And all of us can do that. And so if you and I are really going to love our neighbors, then we start by discovering the names of our neighbors. Here's the second thing. Here's something that I believe that God would want all of us to do. And that is if you love people, and Jesus said you ought to love your neighbors, second greatest commandment then we can pray for our neighbors. And what would happen if we just made that a priority? From this point forward, that we're going to pray for the people around us. We're going to pray that God's kingdom would come and God's will would be done in their lives, that God's, God's going to guide them and direct them and bless their lives and cause them to be in the epicenter of what is His will. And I was thinking about this because at my office, I could take you to it right now, I've got a list on a legal pad of names of people that I'm always praying for. And there's some changing going on in that. When somebody has an answer to their prayer, I take their, their name off. And when I hear about a really critical situation, I put a name on. And I do that. I'm accustomed to that. It would be very easy for me. It would be very easy for you to just say, you know what we're going to do? We're going to start a neighborhood prayer list. And on our list, we're going to, first of all, as I mentioned, get to know the names of some people. And we're going to, we're, again, intentionality, we're going we're to learn what some of their needs are. And we can have, a, it would be so easy for us to have a list of the people that we're praying for right around us because we're going to get to know their names. And as we get to know their names, the way that we get to know their names, we're probably going to understand something about their life story and maybe what some of their challenges are. And we can start praying for them. We can pray about their health if they have a health concern. Or we could pray about their career. Or we could pray for their kids. Or we could pray for their marriage or their spiritual life. And I'm just saying, friends, to love your neighbors, not just to get to know them by name, but when you really, really, really love people the way that Jesus wants us to love people, we'll pray for them. And could you imagine what God might do? The breakthrough that could come into their lives when we become very, very serious about praying for them. Now, again, just as it's not easy to love everybody, how many of you know, how many of you know, or you have a difficult neighbor? Now, if your neighbor that is difficult is in this service, you may not want to raise your hand. You can wink at me. You can be like, oh, you see me. But how many of you have now, or you have ever had a difficult neighbor? Let me just see your hand. Just raise it up. You've ever had a difficult neighbor. All right, all right, a lot of you. Now, I'll give you one little thing before we move on, and this will be brief. Uh, one thing to think about, if you think about, you know, I live here, and a moment ago when it was really quiet, you started naming off people around you, and you started thinking about your neighbor, and you're like, hey, hey, you know, I don't have any difficult neighbors. Keep in mind, every neighborhood has a difficult neighbor in it. So if you couldn't think of anybody, I- I'm just saying it could, it could be you. It's just something, it may be you. You may be the difficult neighbor, and... And somebody's praying for you today. Now, uh, in my neighborhood, uh, in my neighborhood, we have, is your neighborhood like this? You have neighborhood rules. You have that in your neighborhood too? And one of the rules, and I abide by, I'm, I, I don't, you know, relish the fact of being a rule breaker, but one of the rules that we have broken from time to time is that in our neighborhood, one of the neighborhood rules is you do not leave a vehicle on the street overnight. You got to move it. And I never thought, thought, thought that it would be appropriate for me to take a car and like park it in somebody's front yard or, you know, or back it in their driveway and block them in. So I wasn't looking to break the rules, but the fact of the matter is we had more vehicles at the house overnight than what we did parking places for them, and, and we left a vehicle on the road. And I don't mind telling you, I've, I've gotten a note on the windshield a time or two or more. It's possible. I've gotten some letters in the mail from the Homeowners Association. That's a, that's a real possibility. 
And that doesn't bother me. I mean, that doesn't, you know, I'm not offended by that because, you know, I, the rules are the rules, and I'm not intentionally trying to break them. And so the fact that I got a note on my windshield, okay, I can deal with that. I got a letter from the homeowner association. Okay, I can process that. But what drove me crazy is there is, there is a guy, and this doesn't happen anymore because we don't have any uh, vehicles uh, now that we did, thank God Drew's moved out finally. So uh, we don't have as many vehicles now, so we don't get these notes. But I can remember any time we had a vehicle, this would happen early. And I'm an early riser. I set my alarm for 5.15, so they weren't waking me up. But they were waking all of my other neighbors up because they took it upon themselves when they would ride by my house and they would see a vehicle parked in the road. This guy, and I know it must have been a guy. I never saw him. But I know a lady wouldn't do anything like this. But this guy would lay down on his horn, and he would hold the horn all the way past past my house to the entrance of our neighborhood. Oh, man. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. And I I have to tell you, I occasionally had some bad thoughts about this. I thought about waiting because I knew if there was a car that he was going to be driving, I, I thought about waiting. I thought about hiding. I thought about objects in my hand that I could throw at his car, and, and then I'd have these pure thoughts, these godly thoughts, and say, no, 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 you, you, can't, you can't do that. Don't do that. But, you know, it was just a difficult neighbor. And maybe we think, well, you know what? Uh, God would want me to get to know the names of all of my good neighbors and to pray for all of my good neighbors, but the difficult ones, I don't really have to mess with them. But before you settle on that, look at Leviticus. Leviticus 19.18. Look at this on the screen. Do not seek revenge or bear grudge against one of your people. Don't feel revenge. Don't feel grudge. And by the way, I just, I want to provide this because now that I've said this, admitted this like publicly before God and before all of you, there is a possibility that there's somebody that has done that, honked their horn, driving by a house all the way. And I just thought it would be good to mention I live in Tampa. No, I don't. I I, I don't. I don't. I really. So do not seek revenge or bear grudge against one of your people. If you happen to do that, I forgive you. No grudge, no revenge. Uh, But love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So if we're going to get really practical, what we can do, if we're going to love our neighbor, remember what Jesus said, and the second commandment is like it. What? What second commandment? Yep, second commandment. Jesus said, I'm amending the Shammah today. From this point forward, you love your neighbors, you love yourself. Love God, but you can't say you love the Father in heaven and you not love your neighbor. So you love your neighbor and you discover their name. It's practical. You pray for them. Let me give you one more. And then we're done. We can look for ways to serve our neighbors. Look for ways to serve our neighbors. Now, since I've started searching the Bible, and I told you I've just got this absolute conviction because I'm doing a terrible job at this. So I'm not just talking to you, I'm talking to me. And we're all going to get better at this. But since I've started searching the Bible about this and started working on this message series, my neighborhood awareness is like this massive all-time high. And I was thinking about it because I've been working on this talk for several days now. And just this week, I'd finished up some yard work. And, I, and I'm just, okay, you know, mowed, weeded, all that kind of good stuff. And I have this pretty powerful blower in my hand. And I'm like, you know, blowing, you know, the sidewalk, the driveway, you know, in front of the house. I'm doing all of that. And I just noticed that my neighbor across the street has some debris from like trees and stuff on there. So I'm thinking, you know, serving. What? I mean, 
It's not a big deal. I'm not like I'm doing it to get a blue ribbon or anything or get like neighbor of the neighbor of the year. I lost that with an overnight vehicle. Anyhow, but uh, I'm not like trying to get the neighborhood neighbor of the year award, but I just thought it'd be so easy. Just take this blower and just walk over and just the way I did my driveway, just when they come out in the morning, they'll say, hey, you know, that, you know, I don't know who did it, but that's good. It's, it's cleared out. And, and so I just took me a matter of minutes and I just did that. And the power of them just blew everything off. thought I'd cool their cat down, you know, it's a hot day, and that didn't go really well, and I feel bad about, no, not really, there was no cats, I just made, I just made that part up, okay, for all the animal lovers, I just made that up, there's no cat, they have dog, but I just thought that's an easy thing, and there's so many ways that we could serve our neighbors, we could bake something for them, we could just bake something for them, take it to them, we could make uh, a double dessert, I mean, if you're making one dessert, it's not that much more difficult to make a second one just like it. How many of you like, let me just ask you, by the way, how many of you like peach cobbler? How many of you believe that God is the master designer behind peach cobbler? Would you agree with that? Just lift your hand and, you know, just shout amen or do something. Stand up and bless the Lord. You know, do something. Peach cobbler, peach cobbler. How many of you know you take it to a whole new level if you have peach cobbler and as soon as you put it in a bowl, you put a big scoop of bluebell vanilla ice cream on it? I'm telling you, God is so happy when people do that. But what if you just made an extra cobbler or an extra cake or an extra pie and you just took it to your neighbor just to serve them? What if you invited them over to watch a game? What if you found an older neighbor and you just decided that you're going to visit them or you're going to help them to do something that they probably need help to do, but they may never ask you? Think about this. My own grandmother. Man, she's alive and she's vibrant. She's tenacity. All about her. And I called her this week, and I can always call, tell when my grandmother, when I call her, that she, she loves to sit on the front porch. She, my grandmother is the most tan grandmother you've ever met in your life. She sits outside all the time, and the sun must, you know, and so she's out there. And I can always tell when she's sitting, sitting out there talking to her neighbors because her tone changes when I call. And I'll call her, and I'll say, hey, Mama, how are you doing? Oh, hey. And I can just picture her doing this. Hey, my grandson. Hey, thank you for calling. He, and I can hear sometimes, he calls me all the time. Hey, hey. hey my grandson, how are you doing? Ma'am, I love you. I can always tell when she's visiting with her neighbors. And then I called her this week, and she's doing all, and I'm like, oh, boy, she's out there with her neighbors. Now, now that's, that's good, and it's good in a couple of different ways, because if her neighbors are not out there, and she's just in the house, and she's not talking to anybody, she's going to talk until Jesus comes home. And I just say, Memo, and, you know, if uh, I got to, it's like a seven or eight, I got to go, and about the eighth or ninth time, she finally hears me. But if she's with her neighbors, I just know she's in, like, pure fellowship mode. And how many of you love it? Have you ever had somebody do this when they thought they hung up and they did not hang up and you still get to have their conversation? Don't you love, just love that? And so she thought she hung up, but she didn't. And, boy, if I had any doubts, then she... She uh, confirmed what I thought, and that is she was sitting because I heard her say, and I'm just listening, I'm just loving it. I heard her say, that was my grandson, and he calls me all the time. He's my preacher grandson down in Florida. He calls me, and she's giving me extra credit. I don't call her as much as she wanted all of her friends to believe. (laughs) But she wanted them. And I thought about, well, I wonder, you know, is there anybody helping my grandmother? Because she's on up in years now. And you know why I call her? I call her not because it's going to be my shortest phone call of the day. But I call her because she gets lonely. 
And I just wonder how many older people live in my neighborhood. How many people live in your neighborhood? And they're just lonely. And they could use a visit. And they could use a helping hand. And then somehow, because we would feel this utter conviction, and it's a good conviction. Conviction is not bad for us. Conviction is good. It compels us to do something that we ought to do. That we'd just walk away from this place today, and we would say, you know what? I'm just like Pastor Jeff. I'm doing a lousy job knowing my neighbors. But I'm going to get to know their names. And I'm going to get to know their needs and their stories, and I'm going to pray for them. And I'll look for little ways to serve them and love them. Jesus looked, this guy that was the expert in the law, knows about all these discussions that these rabbis had had. And Jesus said, greatest commandment, all right, I'll tell you, you want to know it, big boy, here it is. Love the Lord your God, Shama, Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5. Most sacred text to any Israelite. Love him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. The expert looked around and he said, wow, he hit the nail on the head. And then Jesus said, but the second is like it. Second, there's no second. People are looking around like, what is he talking about? There's no second. You don't amend Shama. And Jesus said, oh, yes, I do. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. If I say I love God, but I don't love my neighbor, Jesus said, you've got to do something about that because it's not lining up. Stand with me, everybody. Closing prayer. So God help us with this. It's a big, big deal to you. Much bigger to you than maybe we thought prior to this day. To love you. Every faculty of our being. Heart, mind, soul, strength. But Jesus, to take it out as you did and to now love our neighbor. To know their by name. To know their story, their need well enough that we would pray for them. That we'd love them and know them and pray for them and look for tangible ways to serve them. And God, I just pray that you would help us all from this point forward to learn how to neighbor and to love our neighbors, to love everybody, but to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. You've been a great crowd. I love you, everybody. Have an awesome week.